This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. This is Double Tap Canada from AMI-audio, the place where blind people talk tech. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another Double Tap Canada. It is I, Stephen Scott. Good to be back with you once again. Uh, yes, here we are uh, still in lockdown, at least where I live in the UK. Uh, I'm assuming you'll be the same, Tim Schwartz. Uh, you'll be uh, stuck in lockdown there or are you getting eased out? Well, they say that we're getting eased out. And hello to you, by the way, Stephen Scott. Um, We are getting eased out, but that doesn't convince me. They can take a week, a few weeks, a month. I'm going to just kind of wait and see how it goes and uh, let let everybody else be the guinea pigs. We'll We'll see what happens. I'm all for that. Yeah, let everybody else be the guinea pigs uh, on this one. Um, oh, that, that actually doesn't sound very nice either when you think about it. But I know it, what you it mean. It doesn't uh, really, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I'm just so nervous to get back out there at the moment. I, I just don't think it's time, and I, and I fear that you know we're kind of trying to. And I know what the the governments are trying to do. They want to obviously get our businesses back up and running. They want us all spending again. They want us all working again. Uh, But, you know, at the same token, you've got to balance life against that. And um, I kind of rather stay alive, if I'm honest. I'm on the side of life and I don't care who knows. Um, But that's just the way it is. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm just a bit kind of weary of that. Yeah, I cannot disagree with that at all with my wife, my my young daughter. Uh, I'm Mm. in the uh, market of protecting my family and myself and uh, my parents and, and all that. So, yes, I, I am I'm going to stay in and just kind of see how things go. I mean, look, while Amazon is still delivering, right, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to go anywhere. So oh, this is absolutely true. I can still get anything I want. It's delivered very reasonably. Most restaurants around me are delivering, unlike how you've been uh, in dealing the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, yeah, we don't have it's, anything. It's all good. Yeah, you have nothing. Yeah. So I, I can't no, imagine. It's pathetic. Although in saying that, I will say one thing, right? I am getting thinner and my wallet is getting fatter. So it's not too bad. You know, it's kind of working itself out. Uh, in the right direction the way around for, for us. So. I know. <laughs> Although in saying that, I'm, what I've done is I'm reinvesting all my money that I would spend on takeaways into Amazon products. Now, that seems to be how it's going. Yeah, well, the, the, we're becoming Sean, I think, because he puts all his money in the mm-hmm. takeaway and very little in Amazon. So... Yeah, that, that, I think that's what's happening to us. We're becoming Sean. Next thing you know, we'll be trapped in a shed or a hedge, either oh. one. Yeah, that's, or both. Uh, in his or both. Case. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got lots to get on uh, with this week, and uh, I, I want to talk about uh, the Amazon Echo Buds, uh, one of our regular contributors to uh, Double Tap. He hasn't been with us for a while, but uh, Robin Christofferson from the UK is uh, going to review the Amazon Echo Buds for us. This is quite an interesting little product, uh, Tim, because the thing here is that you've got a, a, a wonderful product that is Lady A. I can't say her name, obviously. Lady A, we'll yes. call her. And she's brilliant. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes I'd like to have her on the move with me. I, you know, it's great having her at home, but I kind of like it on the move. And you can do that with these. Now, granted, you do have to connect them to a phone, but then you would anyway, wouldn't you? Because, you know, what would be the point of having Correct. them otherwise? Yep. So they are wireless, which is nice. Um I've had a few issues with them. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I haven't got as on as well with them as, as I think Robin has. So I'll be interested in his thoughts. Are you're a, what, you're an AirPod guy, would you say? Or are you uh, still sticking with the old wired ones? Um, when it comes to 
really high end. Obviously, I go for my wired ones, although I did recently find a really nice set of Bluetooth uh, earbuds that are, I don't know if you say sponsored or or uh, supported by Universal Studios. And they're the type, kind of like the LG ones, where you have a plastic piece that just lays on your neck, and then the two wired buds go up to your ears. But it is Bluetooth. It is wireless. And is that they Bose? have... It, it's not Bose, actually. It's some other brand that I can't even pronounce, quite honestly, to be very honest. But it is supported and backed by Universal Studios. Uh, it's like Umia or Umia, something like that. But um, but they have like I like the way you say that. Umia. Uh, you love how I say that. But no, they're, they're, they they have like a 3D kind of a, a, a fake surround sound, if you will. It's it, it's kind of a. Uh, like a software generated surround sound and it's really really good so i use those for anything that i want to listen to in stereo but then you know me with my single ear bluetooth devices i i'm always on the lookout for single ears although i've now recently purchased the sennheiser uh the sennheiser presence uh single ear bluetooth device and it's the best single ear bluetooth i've ever ever had oh really Oh, really? I've connected two devices at once, my phone and my watch. They automatically work interchangeably. Whenever I tap either one, voiceover automatically switches to that device, which I know is something we've always wanted. And it's so crystal and clear. The battery works all day long. And you know me, I always have it in. So that's good stuff. So yeah, I, uh, I think I have finally found the one single ear Bluetooth to rule them all for me. Oh, that sounds nice. I'm going to check those out. When it comes to like the Amazon Echo Buds, I do have a friend that picked them up right as they came out, and he loves them. He's tried the AirPods. He he likes them, but for the cost, for what they do, he has told me that the uh, the Echo Buds aren't bad. So I'm curious to see what your issues are, although I don't know if you've ever met tech that you don't have issues with, but uh, they're, they're not too bad. <laughs> You know, I'd love to argue that, but it, I just can't because it's true. Uh, look, yeah, let's bring in our guest. Yeah, well, look, you might have noticed that Sean Priest isn't with us this week. He's having a well-deserved week off. Um, I think he's, oh, yeah. he's quite tired after dealing with Marco Flalo, which makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, well, exactly. So we, we've got a wonderful guest with us this week. I'm so pleased to welcome Shelley Brisbane, uh, who you will know from the Parallel podcast on Relay FM. Uh, you may also know Shelley on Blind Bargains as well. You do lots of other stuff, Shelley, don't you? You never stop. I I know. I, I should probably take a rest and spend some time ordering Amazon delivery. But instead, I sit in here, yeah, not only on, locked Shelley. down, but locked down in my little tiny podcast closet. I, I need some oh, help. Nice. <laughs> no, I, I don't there. think you do. I, I think you've got the perfect setup right there. That sounds it's, absolutely It's nice. It, it's comfortable. I've, I've, I've made it my own. Nobody else can fit in here, but I'm happy. Tim's talking there about the uh, Sennheiser presence that he's just got, and you know we talk about earbuds, and I guess we do probably, as blind people, think about earphones more. Not Maybe not so much for entertainment, although that is a big part of it, but often it's about voiceover, often it's about JAWS on the computer. What are you using? I have AirPods and I love them because I'm I'm one of those people who really can't take an in-ear headphone. If I have to stuff it down into my ear canal, I'm very unhappy. And so the thing that people dislike mm-hmm. about the AirPods and the earpods before them, I like because they just sit on my ears, which are fairly small, and make me happy. And then in my audio working life, I have some nice fancy Sony headphones that I like. And occasionally I'll listen to music on those. I don't have the kind of disposable income that allows me to get super nice 
earbuds for music listening, but I've been mostly happy with the AirPods and the fact that they are literally wireless and there's not something hanging behind you on your neck is is great. Uh, the, the main disappointment I have with them is if I get on a call, the microphone quality is terrible, and I so I need to make some other arrangement. And that makes me really sad because there's so many times when it would just be great to talk to somebody through the AirPods, but they sound awful. I'm assuming you're talking here about AirPods, not AirPods Pro. Correct. I don't know. I don't have the AirPods Pro. Again, disposable income, kind of limited on that regard. So, <laughs> Oh, just, look, just sell things. Just just sell stuff. I, okay. I, you know, um, I'm going to sell this microphone and this mixer. I'm, I'm gone now because I just sold all my audio gear. <laughs> So all you need is just an AirPod. That'll do you. Um, just an I have to say, I mean, you know, I know, I know we're going to go on to talk, but we're going to actually, our main focus of conversation this week is around specialist technology. And I think this will kind of lead into it nicely. But, you know, it is interesting that we talk more uh, about, and of course, that's what the show was developed for, was to talk about non-specialist tech, you know, mainstream stuff that we can get off the shelf and we can all enjoy. But it's interesting, uh, you know, with all of the uh, specialist technology companies still making, you know, um, desktop video magnifiers and still making handheld magnifiers and, you know, Braille devices and, you know, specialist keyboards and all that stuff, the hardware that they make. Um, you know, forget the software for a minute because we talk a lot about JAWS and all the rest of it. I, I just I, I'm intrigued this week to, to talk to you and bring you into this, Shelley, because I I want to put this thought out there. Right. And, and this is just my view. But I want to put it out there for you uh, and Tim to to discuss because I am genuinely concerned about the future for these companies. When you start to see more and more tech companies, the big giant, the big tech giants, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and others, uh, Amazon, I guess, included as well to some degree, really putting a lot of emphasis on accessibility in their products. And what that means is, especially with something like the iPhone or an Android phone, you can download an app that can essentially do the same thing as a lot of these specialist technologies, like, for example, a handheld magnifier. You don't really need to have a handheld magnifier anymore because it's built into the settings of your phone. You can just create a magnifier on your phone. Um, Color detectors, I think, back to dictation devices. Um, I mean, endless banknote detectors, all these things, all this kit that we used to have has been swallowed up and essentially spat out as an app. And, you know, I wonder, these companies are still creating this kind of stuff. You can still go and buy it. And the one that really shocked me, um, and I think ultimately this comes down to the, the niche of the of, of the fact that these products that are made for blind and partially sighted people are aimed there, uh, it has a real impact on us, a real impact on the, the cost because there's only a few people buying them, right? But I saw a keyboard. It was a full-size mechanical keyboard. It was for sale. And instead of having the QWERTY keys, still, I mean, it had all the, the, the same layout as a QWERTY keyboard, all the, the function row keys, the, uh, you know, the cursor keys, the number pad, all that was still there. But in the middle of it, they'd taken out all the keys, all the, the, the letters, and they'd replaced it with Braille keys so you could have braille and your computer keyboard in one and i thought that's a brilliant idea again it's specialist but it's a really good idea the price of it was fourteen thousand dollars now i should also wow. i did have a 40 cell braille display in it but it's and it did have a braille <laughs> display okay Even so man but it, but it was fourteen thousand okay i think i'm being unfair i think it was thirteen thousand 853. It was 14 grand, right? You probably get and a case. I mean, come on. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you don't get a case. You, 
You get a lanyard because that's what you always get with <laughs> ah, real stuff. You, you get a lanyard. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, all of this stuff, I just think it's it's great and wonderful, but. It's so expensive. I mean, that's way out of the reach of anybody unless you're in employment. Your employer's prepared to pay for it. I don't know anybody who's going to spend 14 grand on a keyboard, no matter how good it is. Even Apple wouldn't have the audacity to charge that for a keyboard. And it just, it seems that this specialist technology, well, um, (laughs) but it seems that the technology has moved on so much that I don't think there's anybody now who really, really couldn't. I mean, if if you were to go into a job now, with the exception of Braille, if you take Braille out of the equation, perhaps, I think most technology now is accessible enough for blind people to use without the need for any additional specialist technology. And I, and I worry for those companies that are creating it. So, Shelley, you're our guest. Um, tell us what you think about that proposition. I think that's true insofar as people who have what I would call a a sort of a normal level of tech acumen or the ability to get it, whether it be through training and rehab agencies or school training, are probably going to be fine in most cases. But I think about seniors, a lot of this technology just in and of itself is challenging for seniors, people who, whether they've gone blind recently or whether they have been that way for a long time and are now trying to stay connected using technology. I mean, my my mother has age-related macular degeneration, and you would think that would be such a great setup because I can provide her all the guidance she needs on her technology. She's got an iPad, but the challenges of getting her set up, sometimes they're physical things like stands and just other supporting technology. Like in a lot of low vision tech, there are large buttons and tactile buttons instead of touch buttons. And it's sad because I think I can make the argument that that niche still needs some of that specialist equipment, but fewer and fewer people are in that niche. So it's harder to justify those kinds of products. And to help her, help my mother with her iPad or to help other people with those devices, I think to do it without specialist tech, you're going to need a specialist person to provide that assistance if, if they don't, if they're not able to do that themselves, which I think is often the case. That's a very fair point that Shelley makes there, Stephen, because the the more niche it is, obviously it's going to be very specialist. And we always hear, well, it's so niche. That's why it costs so much. How, how many years have we all heard that in uh, mm-hmm. you know when it comes to specialized tech? However, that point is valid, I think, because there are still people, whether it's the elderly or people with you know varying disabilities. Maybe they can't use a smartphone. Maybe they just don't want to use a smartphone. We famously, once upon a time, had that discussion about uh, humanware with the Victor Reader stream and the Victor Reader Trek and who is really using this device for playing MP3s and uh, you know using it for GPS. And, and we had a lot of very interesting fan feedback from from that discussion way back when. And we found that there are still many people who are like, you know what? I like my iPhone. I like what it does. But I still like having this this other piece of technology, this third party hardware that's tactile that I can get my hands on and use for a very specific use case. So I, I get that. I know that those people exist. At the same time, I also see your point that you made to Shelley to start the conversation with where where it comes into so many things, though, can be in that one toolbox that is a smartphone. And it is making the the need for specialized tech for most people, obviously, not all, but for most people, it's making it less necessary. 
And unfortunately, that might drive up the prices of specialized tech uh, in a way because there's fewer people that need it. So they need to charge more, perhaps. But but I think there is still there is still a valid use case. Well, and you can see, though, that with uh, products that have been adapted to specialized tech needs. Like you can buy tablets, Surface tablets, Android tablets, Apple tablets that are on stands or that have special and that have special software and additional cameras to give them use in specialized tech situations, often in academic situations and business situations. And those things, the prices have really been run up. It's almost like you're paying a set price for whatever specialized tech you get, regardless of whether a good percentage of it is an iPad or an Android phone, it seems like they have to make $2,500, $3,000 or more per sale. And that's really unfortunate because in addition to, to that, in addition to products where the meat of it is something like an iPad or an Android tablet, there are a lot of commodity components that go into specialty tech, whether it be a Sony camera or a screen from an LCD vendor that sells screens to other types of producers. And it seems like what you're really paying for specialty tech is specific physical design and then also just the availability of those products in the the parts of the economy, the, the rehab agencies or, or the distributors who do specialty tech. And as I say, I feel like whatever I buy as a low vision person, doesn't matter what it is, it's going to cost me $2,000, $3,000. And that's that's really unfortunate and untenable, and it really relies on subsidized purchases, whether it be through the government or through an employer. And that's the interesting thing, right? So, you know, a lot of these technologies that we're talking about here, I, mean, I, I use the example again of the desktop video magnifier, or as I used to call it, the CCTV. Um, and, you know, the great thing about that was it was a, a very specialist piece of tech. When I was growing up, it, it certainly was. These days, though, when you buy these pieces of tech, if you actually got up close to it and, and were able to notice, it's, it's a, maybe a Samsung tablet running an app, uh, and it's got a fancy stand that comes with it. But you're paying maybe four times the price of the tablet, maybe even more. And it seems to me crazy that, you know, we should, shouldn't these companies be moving towards the app itself rather than the hardware? You know, start thinking the way everybody else is thinking, right? Everyone's thinking, well, yeah, I could create this box that does magical stuff, but instead we'll just create an app because the box is already in your hand. Well, yeah, and you have, I, I sort of wonder if, the nature of the way those the money is divided up among the people that make that tech and the people that sell it and distribute it is part of the problem as well because you've got uh well I'll just call names not to pick on anybody specific you got Vespero and Humanware and all the companies that make these hardware products but they're not usually selling them directly they're selling them through geographic distributors who have to make their part of the money and they're probably doing a lot of the training so what you're paying for when you buy a piece of specialist tech often includes a fair bit of training although it doesn't you're going to pay the same price whether you get the training or not and i just wonder if there couldn't be a model where a person says all right i need or the rehab agency or whoever's sort of specking the tech out says this is the kind of product this person needs let's go find some off the shelf let's go find some components and let's build a system that happens interestingly enough with um physical disabilities so there are a lot of 
uh, iPad-based products that run on switches. And there are companies out there that build these custom switch assemblies that work on wheelchairs and that use multiple switches, but they're using the iPad software. And you're paying for the hardware, but you're, you're also paying for that custom configuration. And maybe it's just a matter of saying, we're not necessarily buying a specialist tech device. We're buying a configuration that accommodates our specific disability need. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think that between things that are designed or configured for very specific needs and then the rest of it, as it were, you know, just having the, uh, you know, all the things in one app in a, in a smartphone, there there is definitely a difference there and there is a need there. I mean, if I still were in the low vision camp, I would still love to have a CCTV with that camera blowing it up on a big monitor. However, because of, you know, my technical background and my my comfortability with things i know that i could use the camera on my phone and then you know airplay that or you know screen share that to my television you know they're at use apple tv or my computer or something i know how to do that and i would probably do that now if i were low vision however that's not everybody's use case and I think that we'll eventually get there. I think what you're talking about, Stephen, is something that we're, I don't even want to say we're tiptoeing into. I think we've taken some giant steps into it where, you know, what, 11 or 12 years ago, I had my Nokia cell phone that I had to then buy a camera attachment. Then I had to buy KNFB reader. And, you know, $2,500 later, I had a a phone, you know, with talks even, you know, having the the talk software for it to speak. You know, so all of that in there over $2,000 something later, I had an accessible phone. Well, now I could get, you know, arguably an iPhone SE or, or, you know, even, you know, 10R or an 11. And, you know, if I'm going iPhone and, and spend less than, you know, $700 and have something that does all of that. Oh, and so much more, you know, with GPS and scanning and UPC, you know, codes and, you know, OCR and everything else. So, you know, we're getting into that place where, yes, us tech geeks are diving in, uh, you know, and using this stuff, but there's still those people who prefer something else. They still want something else. They may not need everything else. Maybe they just want a GPS uh, device. Maybe they only want a handheld magnifier. They don't want or need anything else, but I think eventually is that five years, 10 years, who knows? I think we're going to get to a point where possibly it's not going to even be necessary, especially when we see things, uh, you know, coming out where you've got these, you know, braille displays that are, you know, a few hundred dollars, you know, I mean, that's really good when it comes to braille. So, I mean, you could get, you know, a $400 smartphone and for a few hundred dollars more, get your braille input device and away you go. You know, I, 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 so I think that we're getting there, but it's just, it's got to catch up to everybody. It's almost as if Braille's caught up ahead of time in some ways. In a way, uh, it has. It's leapfrog. The other companies have. I, I just want to pick up on something you said earlier, Shelley, that uh, I, I think is another uh, view of mine, um, and I wonder what you think about this. Is it time that we stopped allowing the excuse, I don't like smartphones, I'm not prepared to learn to use smartphones? Is it time to stop allowing people to say that and say, do you know what? If you were walking across a road and you were nearly hit by a car because you never saw it coming, or you kept walking into poles in the road because you didn't want to use a white cane, wouldn't it be time to just make the leap and actually start using the kit you need to do the job? I think for a lot of people, that's a perfectly reasonable expectation. And especially young people 
when, well, I mean, young people are probably least resistant, but especially people who are going to be in the job market in some way or in the academic and educational market in some way where you're going to have to use this kind of technology if you're going to make your way at all. And I think there's still, again, a small subset of people, whether they be seniors or folks with multiple disabilities, that are going to have difficulties. But I do think smartphone literacy, just as computer literacy generations ago was required, uh, I think it's I think it's appropriate. And so you don't say to somebody, okay, it's all right, you don't have to use a smartphone, but you say you, you have to look at what training is provided to them and whether the training meets them where they live. What is the source of the, the tech phobia? Is are they thinking of that smartphone as a computer that is intimidating to them because of some other bad experiences they've had with technology in their life, well, that's probably as much a training failure as anything else. Because if you have an agency or an employer that's willing to purchase this tech for somebody, so if the price part is eliminated as an issue, and then they still are resistant to it, then you you got to look at what is the basis for that resistance. And you're right, O&M is a perfectly good example, because there are a lot of people who are very timid about independent travel and some people are, you know, fearless and there is a spectrum there, but we all do it to some extent. And those who may not be able to do independent travel as a, as a pedestrian with a, with a white cane in the, even, even when they have the white cane, they may not be as effective as pedestrians or they may live in environments where they're not able to do it. They still have to learn as much as they're capable of learning. And we still have an expectation that this expectation that they will learn something. And I feel like, yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? That's that's the key point, Tim, because it's about saying, you know, look, I I may I mean I don't I, I don't know about you, but I don't personally feel that I am any great expert in accessible technology. Uh and that's quite an admission coming from a guy who does a show all about accessible <laughs> technology every week. But but it's, I think that's actually the key sure. thing. I don't I don't think if I was a, a complete expert know it all I probably wouldn't be the right person to do this because I want to test things. I want to try things. But you've got to start somewhere. Well, exactly. And, and that's one of the things that you, Sean, and I have talked about you know, even before Double Tap started so long ago is we want to go on this journey with the listeners. We hope that we have some experience that we can bring to the table and some knowledge and know-how. But at the same time, we're going to learn about things and explore things you know, ourselves and, and take, that, take that journey too. And... Uh, you know, like we were talking about, Shelley was, was talking about that learning curve. There are people who are, in, or who, there are, easy for me to say, there are people who are intimidated <laughs> by using a white cane. I remember being in, in support groups years ago, group, you know, uh, you know support, blind support groups, people losing vision and people just being so afraid to use their cane. Be like, oh, well, I carry it with me. I have it during the day and it's folded up. And if I need it at nighttime, I might pull it out or, you know, and they just were so self-conscious about it. Yet those same people would dive into their technology, dive into a smartphone, no matter what the age was. And it just perplexed me. I'm like, but, you know, as you said, Stephen, this is a tool that will help you. It can prevent you from getting hurt. I would hear so many people say, oh, yeah, I was out and I walked down a flight of concrete stairs, uh, you know, downtown and uh, I fell. I tripped and fell. And I'd say, well, did you have your cane? Well, no. It's like, well, then come on, <laughs> really? You know, so there is that side of it. But I think that... W there is still that resistance. There are people, there are people that I went to school with years ago. I grew up with that didn't want to learn computer skills. They, they were like, why am I going to need to learn how to type? Why do I, I'm not going to be a secretary. I'm not going to be doing data input or data entry. Why do I need to learn how to use a computer? 
Well, guess what? You know, uh, those of us who, who listened during those, uh, those computer keyboarding classes, you know, got, got further along, thankfully, but there are still people that just either don't want to learn, don't feel they can learn. And I think that's a shame because especially people with disabilities or in our case with low vision or, or no vision, they really are in a way hindering what they could be doing. As we talk about on the show all the time, we, we talk so much about apps and mainstream things because it's, it's the idea that there are so many things out there that you can use every single day, mainstream products and apps that can really, I'll say it, change your life, can really open up doors that you never had before. And so it, it is frustrating when, when you can't get somebody to realize And that. unlike using a white cane in traffic, using a smartphone incorrectly doesn't run the risk of hurting you. So you're going to be fine. Exactly. Which is good, yes. Absolutely. But, you know, I think it, the reason I use that analogy is because I think it's important that people realize that it is an important tool and it does have a lot of benefits to it. And, yeah, you know, it's not going to kill you if you don't know how to use it properly. But, you know, equally, you will be held back if you're unable to because it might stop you going out in the first place. And that's, you know, the, 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 the idea there. Anyway, look, stick around because we've got lots more to talk about. Uh, and we're going to be hearing next from Robin Christofferson. He is here to tell us all about the Amazon Echo Buds to tell us what he thinks of them. Stick around. And now we're back with the Double Tap Canada team for more news on the latest tech from an accessibility point of view. Join in the fun with Double Tap by emailing your comments to feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at Double Tap Canada. Do keep in touch and uh, we'll give you that phone number as well a little bit later so you can leave us a voicemail if you like and tell us your thoughts on this week's discussion. Now let's talk about the Amazon Echo Buds. Robin Christofferson, our regular contributor from AbilityNet in the UK, he's here to tell us all about what he thinks of the, uh, well, let's just say Lady A on the Move product. This is a demo of the new Amazon Echo Buds with a lady built in A-L-E-X-A. Not going to say her name because I've got them in and they're always listening. Don't have them till you hear from me. Pay no attention to what I said. Why people tear the seam of anyone's dream. It comes in a case, which is hard plastic, maybe three inches by four inches by just under an inch. For anyone who's familiar with AirPods, which is probably the Apple equivalent, it's a lot bigger than that. This is a pocket filler. And the buds inside, just open it up, uh, it opens clamshell. They are just under an inch circular with a little in-ear canal tip that kind of protrudes out of one end, angled towards your head. And they sit nicely in the case. I'll close it again. There you go. And when they're charged up, you get many hours of usage and you get a good few hours of usage out of each charge of the buds as well. To charge them up, you plug the micro USB cable into the case and it will charge up overnight, for example. And then you would take the case with you 
and just take out the earbuds when you want. These are in-ear canal earbuds for people that want noise cancellation and a good tight fit. They come with a number of different ear tip sizes and within the settings section of the Amazon ALEXA app on your phone, you will be able to do a test, a fit test to see if you've got the right sized ear tips. And that's so that when you're playing music, music doesn't leak out and you know you've got a good fit. And this is going to be really useful if I'm on a train or a bus or in a noisy environment where I want to have actual noise cancellation, which you wouldn't get with normal AirPods, for example, because they're not a tight enough fit. It comes with Bose technology, that's B-O-S-E. So you'll know that that music and sound quality is really good, which it is. I think the quality of the music and the playback is top notch, really good. And the active noise reduction, as it's called, does help to cut out external noise and you can have a pass through that we'll look at in a moment, which will enable you to hear the world. So if you're visually impaired and you're using these out and about, you'll definitely want to have that pass through mode turned on so that you can hear the traffic and other people. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to let you hear what these earbuds sound like because there's no way of connecting them to anything other than your ear canals. So we're not going to be able to hear that, but we can at least look through the settings on the Amazon ALEXA app so we can see what they're capable of. Amazon Alexa. So here we are. Let's double tap on the app. Amazon Alexa. Menu. Button. So let's go to the bottom right. Devices. Tab. Double five tap. Five. Selected. Devices. Tab. Five at five. Let's go to the top of the screen. Menu. Button. And flick right. Add a new device or group. Button. Devices. Heading. Echo and Alexa. Button. That's what we want. Double tap. Echo and Alexa. The kitchen. The living room. The office. Accessories. Echo Buds 023V. Echo Buds 023V or something. Let's double tap on that. E device settings. Okay, so here we are. If we swipe to the right. Echo Buds 023V. Unfortunately, you can't rename your Echo Buds. Battery status L, 100% R, 97% Ks, 54%. Tells us the battery levels of the left earbud, the right earbud and the case. Ambient sound control. Heading. Now this section is how much you want to have passed through when you turn off that active noise reduction. Bose ANR Bose Active Noise Reduction Limits Background Noise. Pass through slider percent 100 adjust pass through volume to change the amount of ambient sound you hear. Now you can't swipe up and down here. You have to do a one finger double tap and hold and then slide it to the right or the left. Off turns off Bose active noise reduction and pass through mode. Don't want to do that. Audio control. Equalizer. This is for your bass and treble. Ear tip sizing test. The ear tip sizing test I mentioned before, this is where it will play a sound and listen with the microphones to see if there's any leakage. Customization. Heading. Tap controls. Now here you can change what each earbud does. You have a double tap and you have a single tap and hold. So you just tap it and don't take your finger off, basically. And you can have the A-Lady being invoked that way. You can have play pause. You can have skip forward. You can have skip backwards and you can have turning off active noise reduction as well. So that is two things you can do per earbud. So you can do a single tap and hold and a double tap on your left and on your right. So there are four separate things you can activate 
And you can also have it so that she will always be listening for the A-Lady. So that's five things really that you can do. Calling experience. Heading. So under this heading, you can choose how loud you want the bleeps to be when you do a single or double tap, for example. Side tone. Decrement. Increment. Hear your own voice while on a call. And you can also choose how much you want to hear your own voice on a call. Alexa in microphones. Heading. Enable Alexa hands-free when enabled. You will be able to use the wake word to access Alexa. This I love because you don't have to take up one of those tap choices to invoke the A-Lady. You will have her with you all the time. You can just say her name and you have got an echo with you wherever you go. And she has the full functionality of the echo playing media, running skills, obviously getting information and all that sort of thing, setting reminders. And that's really, really powerful. It uses your phone connectivity, obviously, to be able to use that function. Love it. Mute microphones when muted. You will not be able to use Alexa or be heard on phone calls. And that's basically if you want to shut off your microphones forever. Not sure why you'd want to do that. Now, by default, whenever you pause media, it turns on the pass through mode. So it turns off active noise reduction. And that's definitely a behavior I think you want to keep turned on so that whenever you pause media, you can hear what people are asking of you or you can hear the world around you. But if you're walking out and about, you'll probably want to keep that pass through mode on all the time. So you can choose whatever works best for you. So what do I think in general about the Echo Buds? Well, they're big. They're comfortable, but they're certainly no AirPods. They're quite chunky, but they are truly wireless. There's no cable going behind your head. They're securely fixed into your ears and they sit comfortably in there. So I think you could wear them for long periods. Really good battery life, really good sound quality. With the pass-through mode on so that you can hear the world around you, it feels a bit hissy. So it feels like there's an awful lot of treble there and the world feels just a little bit strange. But otherwise, I think they're really good. Price, £119.99 here in the UK. Elsewhere, I'm sure it's an equivalent price, usually dollar for pound. Canadian dollars, a little bit more. So, Amazon Echo Buds with a lady built in. Are they worth it? I think so. Even if it's just so that you can have the A-Lady with you all the time, what's not to like? That's the truth, Jack. I'm a liar. And don't tell your mama. Well, thank you for that, Robin. A uh, very interesting review of the Amazon Echo Buds. You know, I've got to say, I've had a few issues with mine, and the key one... Tim, I've got to say, uh, you know, I know your friend said that they were really good. Uh, for me, the issue I've had is that when you put your finger up to the button, which is essentially just a little soft pad on the outside, which is at that point, of course, when it's in your ear, it's, it's the whole outside of it is the pad. As soon as you put your finger near that, it kind of almost covers the, the microphone, which causes a little squeal in your oh. ear. No, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of that, to be honest no. with you. I kind of like my hearing, and <laughs> yes. I'd like to keep it as long as possible. Um, and th- this really has freaked me out, and it's happened in like four separate occasions 
to the point where I was just, I took them out and I was like, no, no more. I'm not doing this. Um, cause I just, I didn't fancy this idea at all, but maybe just the way I'm using them, it might be, as Sean would say, user error. Yes. It, it very well uh, might it probably be, is. you know, similar to the errors you had with your iPhone SE and errors you've had with everything, everything before else that. before that that you've ever owned. <laughs> it, it's very possible, Stephen, but y- you know, uh, who knows? Listen, Shelley Brisbane's still with us from Parallel Podcast, also Blind Bargains. You do lots of different stuff, though, don't you? You're famous, of course, for your iOS books as well, the Access for All series. Uh, tell us uh, where people can get them, Shelley. Sure. Always glad to give a plug. So my book, yeah. iOS Access for All, your comprehensive guide to accessibility for iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch. I barely have to say anything after that because the title kind of tells you all of it. But it basically, the book covers all the accessibility features, including all the blind and low vision related ones, but others as well. Uh, for the iOS platforming, you can get those at my website, iosaccessbook.com. It's available in EPUB format and in PDF format, so you can uh, take your choice there. And I just published, well, I say just, in January I published the iOS 13 edition and did a little update in March for iOS 13.4. And of course, as Apple likes to do, now iOS 13.5 is coming down the pike. I'm just going to pretend I don't know that it's out there and just suggest <laughs> that iOS 13.4 is plenty new uh, and there's a lot of great new information in there. So uh, get get that book if, if you like. Yeah, it's the iOS 14, I think, that everyone's kind of interested yes. in what new accessibility features are going to be in there. Do you know anything and can you not tell us? Is that the deal? If I knew, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I mean, this is the part time of the year where everybody puts their wish lists out and then they compare mm. them with what we see at WWDC. Uh, I really don't know. I mean, I would expect because voice control was a brand new feature last year that you'd see a fair number of upgrades to that because Apple likes to put out a feature see how it's received, and then give you the the big sort of, and by the way, it can do way more. And I say that as somebody who liked voice control a lot last year, but just knowing that pattern, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to do. I know that there are people who are still dealing with some Braille and voiceover bugs from iOS 13, so I don't know how much we're thinking about what's new in voiceover. People are just hoping that some things get fixed. Yeah, uh, the emphasis, it seems, uh, and I've read this, I know you have as well, Tim, that the emphasis this year is on hearing, uh, quite rightly, I think, because, you know, it's almost a case of they put a lot of effort into voiceover, voice control. Now it's time to think about hearing and, you know, putting in some interesting features like where he, where the, the rumors are anyway, that we'll be getting a feature where, you know, the, the phone can detect, you know, but using the microphone built in detect noises and, and use AI to detect and tell you what those noises are. Uh, so if a smoke alarm goes off, you'll get an alert. Or if a window breaks, you'll get an alert. And, and the Echo's been doing a bit of this as well with its, its kind of burglars-type features that it has. Um, but it's just an interesting thing. I mean, I, I want to ask you, Shelley, because you're uh, one thing I know you like to talk about a lot, and we don't talk about it enough, I don't think, and that's primarily... Uh, because all me, Sean, and Tim are all you know way beyond the point of low vision. I think it's fair to say. Um, so we don't talk enough. I don't think about low vision. But thinking about iOS fourteen and perhaps more widely, low vision tech. I mean, do you think if we just start with the iPhone, do you think that people with low vision are served well enough? by the software or do you think that apple could do more for low vision we know it does well with voiceover we know that you can use braille so blind people are pretty well covered on this but what about low vision people 
I think they could do more. I think dark mode was a big help last year because although that wasn't intended specifically as a low vision feature, a lot of people, including myself, use it who had been using smart invert colors. And there were some initial issues with some uh, of the early betas or the early releases as far as dark mode went, and that's improved quite a bit. But I still feel like low vision is so personal and so individualistic and everybody uses a different combination of features. And I have said this for many years, but it's especially true in low vision and especially true as we get more features in the accessibility category. I would love to see a full-on macro setup whereby you could create your personal accessibility settings. They would be transferred via iCloud to your other devices. And so that every time you got a phone, you didn't have to tinker with the levels and the text sizes and all those individual features. And that that would also facilitate what we were talking about earlier, where if you're training somebody or if you're helping somebody who's new to the platform, you, you tame their accessibility settings so they don't have to spend all that time in the settings area adjusting those. And so I feel like around that sounds like a marginalia kind of thing, like you're talking about, well, how do we make it more elegant for people to use? But again, I think most people who have LaVision use those features in different combinations with different settings. And it just feels like that's something that's really missing that Apple could do a great, great service with if they would add those kinds of features. As far as the sort of bread and butter low vision features, I think they could do more with things like contrast and brightness. And I think, first of all, they could make them a little less opaque, pun intended, because some of the names of those settings have changed over time, and even the placement in the settings has changed over time. And I know as somebody who has to write about them and explain what they do, that it can be a challenge. And so I think as they add more settings, and I hope that they will, and let you have more granular control of your devices, especially now that we have these super fancy real and really big iPads with beautiful screens. I would like to see them give a little bit more thought to a combination of settings that can be easily understood and tweaked by somebody who's just trying to get their device to exactly the position that they'd like it to be. Something that I'm interested in, Shelley, with all the rumors that we're hearing about iOS 14, Something that might, I mean, you can tell us, I'm hoping maybe you'll have an opinion on this. The, one of the rumors is a more Android style home screen, very widget friendly, uh, maybe you know, much more uh, organized or manually set, if you know what I mean. Is that something that would help hinder or not matter to someone with low vision? Because for me, having basically no functional vision, I swipe through or put my finger down and find what I want and away I go. And even when I'm using widgets, I'm still bouncing my headings or flicking left and right or what have you. But for someone with low vision, if they were bringing that customizable home screen to iOS 14, very similar to the Android screens, it, would that be something that would be helpful? I have such mixed feelings on it because as somebody who's fooled around with Android as a as a tourist rather than a native I have found that that I found that approach difficult because it's not always clear to me what I can put where and what serves me best where but it is the kind of thing that I think once I got accustomed to it I think less than less so than just the literal the home literally the home screen with widgets which is something they sort of started on the iPad and it seems likely that it would come to the iPhone right uh, less than that uh maybe something akin to a file manager where you have um, 
now I'm using the wrong terminology, what do they call it in Android, where you can actually skin the device in such a way that things look different, icons can be different sizes. They have these for things like the Jitterbug phone and other phones that are aimed towards seniors, where you have a simplified uh, finder experience, if you will. I can't Yeah, explore. Samsung's got easy mode and Yeah, that, and, yeah. and whether, whether it's just, whether it's for an easy mode or whether it's simply a customizable mode that says, okay, I want bigger icons and I want fewer of them, or I want more widgets so I don't have to swipe and find apps. That kind of flexibility would be welcome. I don't know that it would help. Well, let me, it wouldn't help this low vision user specifically, but I can see it having some advantages. The issue is that with complexity comes the opportunity for, for confusion. So, I mean, I give Apple credit for good software design generally, and so I like to think they do a good job of it. But I don't think it's possible to say, yes, that would be great, or no, it would be terrible until we see what it actually looks like. I've got to say, though, I'm still disappointed in Apple when it comes to things like, for example, uh, large text. You know, I, I go back to this point all the time, but I have uh, a Samsung S10 Plus, and I actually think for someone who's low vision, and kind of at the time I thought I had enough vision to be able to use it, maybe not for me, but certainly for people who have low vision, this is a great phone. I mean, the, the screen is so dynamic. It's so bright. Uh, the text size across pretty much every single app increases. So you don't have a situation where you've got, you know, Facebook where the text is too small or Twitter where the, the text size remains the same size uh, as Facebook does, but ignores the large dynamic text settings in, uh, you know, under accessibility on the iPhone. And that really irritates me. That really annoys me that, you know, Apple haven't done more to accommodate that when, you know, clearly Samsung have put the effort in and, and other, uh, I guess, Android phones as well to some degree. Yeah, Apple and developers. I don't know what's required in an yeah. Android platform to make the dynamic text work as well as it seems to, but it's very true that there are a lot of recalcitrant developers. And Apple talks about advocating for accessibility, but that is definitely one area where and there are big apps that don't support dynamic type, and there, frankly, are developers I have grudges against because they haven't felt like it's been important for them to do that. And again, as these screens get bigger, it's much easier for dynamic type to work and work well and still have people be able to see enough of the screen to, to use it. So as I say, I, I think there's plenty of admonishment to go around both to Apple and to developers who haven't been <laughs> yes. held accountable for it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, look, we've not got a lot of time left. I wanted to just mention Microsoft's uh, new products. They've launched uh, a couple, and I want to mention it primarily because uh, it's news and we should talk about it. But actually, uh, I think that the one particular product stands out more than the others. I I'm quite excited by this product, except for one thing, which I'll get to in a minute. There's only one thing that really irks me about it. This is the Surface Go 2. Now, Surface Go came out a couple of years back. Uh, it's the smaller version of the Surface Pro. Uh, so it's only got a 10.5-inch screen. Um, but it's, it's very portable, so it's iPad size. Um, but it, it's very portable. It's got the little small keyboard. Not good if you've got fat finger syndro syndrome, which is my uh, <laughs> FFS moment uh, regularly when it comes to these uh, mm -hmm. devices, unfortunately. Um, and I, I do struggle with the, the keyboards. Uh, but I think that the device is exciting. The Surface Go 1 wasn't particularly exciting because it was very slow. It ran Pentium uh, Pentium processors inside. I mean, really, in 2019, yeah, like I didn't know that. That's alarming. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was like a Pentium 1.6, I think, in the one two years ago, and dual cores. I mean, yeah, it wasn't. It had, I think, it had eight gigs of RAM, but it was still like. Uh, 
okay, this is what they want to push yeah, is exactly. like the tablet slash laptop replacement. Uh, not, not yet. Mm. Well, I mean, again, I, I'm maybe being selfish here, but I'm thinking about JAWS perspective. Right. I mean, you know, a different maybe with NVDA or Narrator, which might run lighter on those devices. Certainly Narrator would and NVDA would. JAWS, right. I think, would struggle. But the new ones, the base level comes with a Pentium Gold processor. That doesn't fill me with any more hope, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, but it's got a Pentium Gold. Uh, the top end, though, if you max out, what you can get is a an Intel Core M3 processor. That's a bit more exciting. Uh, we saw those in the MacBooks. Remember the 12-inch MacBooks that came out a couple of years yep. back? And they've now been shelved. Uh, and they were fairly decent. Uh, dual core, though, so you know that's a that's a question mark. Uh, eight gig of RAM, two five six SSD. That's on the maxed out one, uh, and you've got to obviously buy the keyboard separately. So the price does go up sharply. Um, but at the same token, it's a nice little device. The one thing that irritates me about it is it. Uh, and again, this is a Jaws thing. It doesn't have an insert key. <laughs> now remember we went through all this yes, before we Tim did on your uh, was it on your Chrome no it wasn't it was on your um, no it was a Surface, Surface Pro I, I right. bought a Surface yeah, Pro yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought this thing so excited got a second hand yeah. Shelly and I was so excited by it I get it home and I'm like right where's the insert key is it missing other key. keys as well or just that no, one just, the insert. just that out. one <laughs> just the insert My, Microsoft get it wasn't really all that um, helpful either if I recall because <laughs> I think they may as well just told me to sort off, Basically, quite frankly. Basically, they, they wanted you um, to do some, some crazy hacking to that keyboard to make it work. I basically had to use something like sharp keys uh, to remap another key right. to the uh, insert key. which was, And I know you could probably use the caps lock key or another modifier key, but I want my insert key. I've always used insert. It's just the way I work. Uh, so, yeah, that was irritating. So they don't have it on that. Um, and what was the one I looked at recently? I was quite keen on... Oh, yeah, that was it. It was a Lenovo. I was looking at a, a new... It's an older... A style of Lenovo uh, laptop, uh, 12.5-inch screen. Uh, it was the X280. And the reason I'd gone for it was because it's a very sturdy, solid machine. You can get 4G LTE on it, and you can get it on eBay uh, for a decent price, right? Maybe uh, five to, to eight hundred pounds here, uh, so about just over a thousand dollars. And um, a really nice little machine. And then again, I got a friend of mine to look at it, and I said, right, where's the insert key? And they said, oh, what you've got to do is you've got to hold down the function key and press the end key to get <laughs> wow. insert. Oh, come on, guys. So clearly the insert key's on the way out, and I want it back. Nice. So campaign starts here. Uh, but yeah, the Surface Go 2 starts at 399. I've got to say, it's a nice little device, but... Um, how powerful it will be, only time will tell. I'm not shelling out the money to find out, but I am in intrigued by it for sure. And uh, they also brought out a new Surface Book 3, but frankly, I don't care. So that's it. That's our <laughs> show for this week. Um, thank you, Shelley. Uh, just remind us where we get your podcasts. Uh, you can go to relay.fm slash parallel for the Parallel Podcast, and you can go to iosaccessbook.com and read my book. I do a lot of other things. Go to brisbane.net. They're all there, B-R-I-S-B-I-N.net. Yeah, and it's Shelley without a second E in it. I, I have to remind myself of that. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> I, I got a bit of a screw up on that one. That was me. Uh, and Tim, as always, thank you for joining us. Tell us again where people can listen to you. Ooh, yes, people can listen to me just by going to lifeafterblindness.com or search for Life After Blindness wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Super. And don't forget all the new TV episodes. Tuesdays, 8.30 with me and Marco Flalo. Double Tap continues this coming Tuesday. We'll be back with Sean Priest next week along with uh, more guests. Don't forget to tune in to Double Tap TV every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. 
for more technology talk with Mark Aflalo and Stephen Scott. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.